we're still side by side to a degree in the comforts of our home. I'm still kind of freaking out about the whole Norm Chow Stadium situation. <laughs> Norm Chow Stadium. <laughs> I love me some Little Mac. I also love we, Big Macs. Yeah, you do. Are there any leather-bound books in that bookcase, though? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now is ESPN play-by-play specialist, a Valparaiso grad, and the pride of Addison Trail High School. Go Blazers! Chicago native Adam Amin is back on BYU Sports Nation. Adam, welcome back to the show. What's up, Adam? Oh, this is this is too kind of a welcome. Look at and, and I I I see a little bit. There it is. That's what I wanted to see. <laughs> Great to see and hear both of you guys, man. That's, uh, I miss you guys. Good to see you in area. Oh, it's great to have you with us. I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised you're not wearing a Michael Jordan jersey right now based on what happened with the last dance last night. Though the Nike Tech lease is nice, but, man, right. you, had to lo- you had to love watching MJ do his thing again in the last dance. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird to almost uh, relitigate some of this stuff in the era of social media so we have such different contexts. Uh, whether it's the globe itself, like what, like what's available to us, the marketability stuff, social media, all that. And then, you know, for a lot of us, we were kids, you know, we we're, you know, when, when the bulls won their first title, I was like five and I was 11 when they won their last championship and to kind of relitigate a lot of these old arguments, but have the documentation in front of us to, to really be able to contextualize it. It's, it's been awesome. And then, you know, the emotional personal side of it, these are all stories that a lot of us who grew up on the Bulls, who grew up in Chicago, we knew most of these stories, but we only knew the headlines. We only knew the treetops about a lot of these stories. And to see it play out in such detail and nuance, Jason Ayer did a, a, uh, an excellent job, he and his team, putting this all together. And to kind of see it all in one spot over a course of this five-week period and, and have all these memories flooding back into various times, uh, you know, of your childhood. It's, it's been, it was, I mean, it was an emotional five weeks every time, uh, you know, during these two hour stretches, there would be something that affected me emotionally, whether it was great memory or something that hurt me as a kid, like watching him lose or, uh, you know, the Steve Kerr stuff last night was obviously very personal to me and, and obviously having a, a professional relationship with Steve now. Uh, seeing the old Delta Center and knowing what Vivint Smart Home is like now and, almost kind of flashing back to when I got to call a playoff game there. Like it, it's, it's intense. Like that, that was a visceral experience for a lot of us who grew up on the bulls or were bulls fans or, or Chicago natives. It's really emphasized the Jordan is goat thing. And, and whether you want to, and I, I feel that way. I know Spencer does like, of course you're going to say that like when this was sanctioned was when LeBron, right. What, one one and the conversation is had so that's been really fun to kind of see you know what he really was and he made it so xyz abc hall of famers didn't get a title it's just, it's just been unbelievable and the fact that it's during this pandemic makes it even better because it's like the only thing i've been looking forward to every week let's be honest yeah i, I would be fascinated to know how we would be perceiving this if let's say this had gone on on, on the normal time frame and we didn't have this pandemic that we were dealing with like I think the original plan was game one of the finals. I think on a Thursday, it's typically played. And then it was going to be that weekend, the first two episodes and the last dance. And then, you know, game two and then the next two episodes. And 
imagine if LeBron were playing in the NBA Finals again. Like, if you if the Lakers are playing the Bucks, like how are, how are we going to litigate this now? And and to have that backdrop as part of what's currently happening, and to really be able to compare and contrast uh, in real time, almost the the two different eras, the two different personas, uh, the level of uh, I think attention that was paid to Michael Jordan without the advent of social media and, and, the, and the global experience that we currently have, uh, I would be fascinated to know how people would be perceiving it and would it be perceived any differently? It's almost like LeBron doesn't really have the stage to defend himself. And so it's not that I think he needs to defend himself, nor am I the one who's having the debate. Uh, like you guys said, you kind of have your minds made up. I'm, I'm of course going to have my mind made up, but I also think I look at it at, at a more nuanced level because as emotionally connected as I am to Jordan, I'm also connected to LeBron. The, the, the first, you know, three years, two years really of calling the NBA playoffs, he was at the center of the biggest moments that I, at that point I had called in my career. So I saw it firsthand, the, the, his game set, six and game seven performance in the 18 conference finals. I was there for that. When Kevin Love gets hurt in game six and he has to carry them uh, to get back to Boston for game seven and then performs the way he did in game seven. Uh, you know, I watched him become the, I called the game where he became, he passed, you know, Jordan for the all-time uh, playoff scoring mark. And and I remember the three-pointer, a twisting three that he made from the left wing. I still remember these moments. So my connectivity to both of these really entities in the NBA, uh, are they're drastically different, but they have a very similar intensity. But uh, like, like you guys said, I, I know where my heart lies. I, and I think I know where my brain lies too. I think I have a, a sense for where I, I perceive both of these gentlemen in, in the annals of history when it comes to the NBA. Adam, I mean, with this on BYU Sports Nation, now based on that unique backdrop that you are working in, Adam, you certainly can appreciate the gifts and memes that are coming out in relation to Jordan fans attacking <laughs> LeBron fans. I saw one this morning from I Am Legend that had the zombies as uh, – Michael Jordan fans, they just wouldn't stop going through the glass at Will Smith and LeBron. This is – it's unbelievable. I, I feel like uh, – I can't remember if it was Josiah Johnson. It was, it was a fun follow on Twitter. He uh, you know, was the creator of that great Comedy Central show, uh, Legends of Chamberlain Heights. And uh, he's hilarious to follow on Twitter. And he, he referred to all the MJ stands as Mike Walkers, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's the photo from Game of Thrones. By the way. I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. I knew what that was in reference to, and I lost. <laughs> Super into GOT is, is looking at that going, yeah, that seems about right. So, like I said, I'd be fascinated to know what the litigation would be in, in the court of public opinion if LeBron were playing, and, and let's say he has a great you know Western Conference playoffs and is getting ready for the NBA Finals or something like that. I, I would be absolutely fascinated to know. I'm Part of me, though, and I think you said it, Jerem, like part of me is happy – that that's not the case. So obviously, if, if you gave me the choice, I would take the playoffs. I would take everything possible, obviously. Uh, I, you know, I'd trade this, these circumstances away for, for just about anything. But I, I'm in the micro sense, I'm kind of happy that we're, we're just getting the chance or we have the opportunity to just appreciate that time, that player, that dynasty in, in a vacuum. You know, I'm kind of happy about that. We don't need to have, you know, I... I I, I roll my eyes even at my colleague Scott Van Pelt doing the doing the LeBron Jordan debate, uh, you know, the poll that they had last night that he did on SVP. And by the way, you could tell even Scott was a little hesitant. He's like, "Yeah, this should go okay. I'm sure this is going to go." Really <laughs> well. 
I'm, I'm glad that we kind of just get to appreciate this in a vacuum and we just get to appreciate him for him, Jordan for Jordan, that team for, and that franchise for that franchise. And, and obviously I'm biased being a fan and, and working for the bulls now and, and doing, you know, a part-time fill in duty for them and having more of an emotional connection. Naturally I'm going to feel that way, but I'm glad that we get to just appreciate this in this vacuum and, and maybe it settles debates. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it just fans the flames, but I'm glad we can just sit here and process it and take it in, in, in this five week stretch. A lot of the conversation moving forward now has been around kind of the NBA and major league baseball, right? I'm almost past that emotionally where I'm going, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. It's May 18th. Like we should be mainly talking about football at this point. Right. But I know everyone wants to play their thing and kind of finish. Where do you stand on this kind of emotionally of like, what's realistic against what's uh, not realistic and obviously health's at the forefront, but we want our sports. Yep. It's, listen, it's not, it's not an easy situation for anybody involved. Like it's not, you know, we can, we can make a very, I've heard plenty of strong, passionate cases for, you know, reopening everything up and, and all, all, all intent for all these people is, is good at heart. You know, like they want, jobs to be back and they want sports to come back and they want people to have some semblance of normalcy. The intent of all that is good. Unfortunately, we're kind of at the, at, at the whim of something that, you know, we can't see. And then most of us, if not, all, you know, the highest possible percentage of us are incapable of comprehending. Like, you know, we can do all the Google research we want to. We, we didn't study this. This ain't our, this ain't our lane. And for me to kind of feel like I want to have sports back, I feel like is a very natural reaction it's a very natural desire i know i'm not the only one and i would say feel like an overwhelming majority want sports back they want it in in for in some form or fashion and obviously as close to normal as humanly possible but until we have some level of breakthrough uh and, and I'm, I'm i'm leaning more medically obviously here uh when, unless we have something significant i don't think there's going to be a hundred percent consensus across the board of comfort you know you, you heard blake snell talk about that on the major league baseball side, whether people agree with the tone that he set it in or the fashion, whatever his core point, I can understand. I can also understand why somebody who makes, you know, seven fifty an hour and needs to get back to work wants to do that. I, everybody's intent is, is right here. Everybody's intentions is good. It's just hard when you don't have much knowledge and when you don't have the timeline that we all can, can kind of project that timeline to restart the NBA in July, to restart Major League Baseball on, on the 4th, uh, to finish the NBA playoffs in September, that those things may not gel with the medical information that's out there. So until we have something significant, by the way, there's a lot of positive news. I, I'm thoroughly impressed by the humanity of, of this planet with how much focus they put just globally on we're going to get a vaccine, we're going to get this done. And, and it's being done in a fashion and at a, and at a speed that maybe we've never seen in human history. Until we see that concretely, I don't know if the level of comfort is going to be enough across the board in all these individual sports uh, to feel like, yeah, we're definitely getting back on date X. Adam Amin with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, you obviously are a play-by-play -play specialist, and Jerem and I dabble in that as well at BYU TV. And, and I miss it so much, in fact, that I was commentating in my head my kids' marble races yesterday. That is not a joke. <laughs> okay, that's not a joke. Uh, what's your day-to-day -day like right now uh, based on no live sports? Where that? I mean, that's what you do. So how are you staying ready? Walk us through your typical day. 
You know, I, and this is just me personally. This has nothing to do with anybody else. And, and obviously I'm speaking in the most micro sense of my own little bubble possible. Obviously in the macro sense, I'm very fortunate to be able to hold my ground and wait for the all clear, uh, whenever that may come. So, you know, I, I certainly take solace and, and I'm grateful for that. But in the micro sense of just kind of sitting around, it's, it's a complete shift. It's a 180 from what I've been used to for the last decade of my life, really probably a little bit longer than that even. And I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way in whatever uh, business or industry that they're in. They've dedicated so much of their days, their weeks, their months, uh, so much of their lives to whatever pursuit uh, that, they, that, that they chase as a living. And for, for me, like a lot of people, I'm sure it's very odd to suddenly go, you know, when you're going 100 miles an hour, especially this time of year, this is usually one of the busiest times of the year for for me and a lot of other uh, announcers, where we're in the in the midst of the NBA playoffs. I'm balancing some Major League Baseball. You know, in years past, I've been getting ready for the Women's College World Series, and to suddenly be sitting around for the last eight nine weeks with nothing uh, close to that, it's very odd. But uh, again, for me personally, it's been, you know, if I can find silver linings, and I certainly try to do that as much as possible. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, I'd certainly suggest whatever silver lining you can latch onto uh, that gets you through the day and the week. Uh, you know, I, I certainly appreciate that. My silver lining has been taking a break and to step away and to uh, kind of prioritize what really is important. And this job is very important to me, obviously, and it's something I love and I'm exceptionally passionate about, and I take a lot of pride in that. I know you guys feel the same way about what you guys do. Uh, it's been admittedly a little nice to step away and have a respite and just to take a breath and go, all right, what's, what's really important now. And it's, you know, it's family, it's, it's taking care of those close to you. It's, you know, trying to help, help those uh, who maybe are a little less fortunate in whatever fashion you can. And it's been nice to have a little bit of perspective. And I think, you know, for me personally, and I hope, hope for a lot of other people, when we do get back, to some semblance of normalcy, which I do have full faith. I just, I have too much faith in humanity and, and too much, too much faith in the good in people and the intelligence of people. I know we're going to get back at some point and maybe even sooner rather than later. I think I'll appreciate it a lot more. And not to say I didn't before. I, I think I was very appreciative of the, of the opportunities and chances that we get. I mean, Jerem Spencer, we, we have idiot lives. Like our lives are dumb. Like they're so, so we're so lucky and we get to do this for a living and, and this is how, you know, we take care of ourselves and those around us. Uh, I think I'll be that much more appreciative, uh, appreciative of it when, when we do get a chance to be back. And that's well said about this whole time period. That's really well said. I was flashing back earlier this week and I texted you, Adam, this picture of you and I from seven years ago. That was a first interaction. So it's been fun to watch you grow and now you're, now you're big time and you're in the news uh, you know, right now, which is fun as well. But uh, in 2013, you're getting ready to call BYU-UC Irvine men's volleyball. I think ESPN-U, maybe two or something. Yep. And we chatted on the phone for like 30 minutes. You vetted me so well as the men's volleyball guy, and you're calling it with Karch, and we meet. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know who this guy is at ESPN play yet. Here we are seven years later, and you're, you're big time, man. It's been like a really fun journey to see you continue to grow, and you're, you're going up and up. Uh, I mean, obviously, big time is in the eyes of the beholder. So uh, I certainly appreciate that. I, I certainly wouldn't call myself big time by any means. But it's uh, uh, that that photo was was so awesome to see. It. I was so happy. <laughs> got in our direction. That was so great. Um, our style was different. Bad, bad haircut, bad suit, and all. Yes. Very <laughs> 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 
I, I admittedly have gone back, uh, you know, maybe a couple times in the last seven years, and, and that match, that UC Irvine BYU match, is on YouTube, and it's always nice to, you know, once a year, once every couple of years, be reminded of that. And, and sure enough, when I got that that text and, and I saw the tweet, it's like, yeah, I wanna kind of want to check that out. How do that? How do we sound? Like, what do we look like? And I roll my eyes and cringe significantly, as I'm sure most of us do. Uh, at, at the look and, and all of it, but I just uh, it, the, to, to take solace and, and to kind of take stock more than anything else in the last gosh seven years now. Uh, it's it's been nuts, man. And, and I'm uh, like I said, everything we talked about earlier about being you know having gratitude and being appreciative of of these uh, peaks and valleys uh, over the course of a longer period of time. That's that is one of the great things, uh, the one of the luxuries of age. You know, we we were you know, pups in that photo, it felt like, and I was 26, I think 25 or 26 in that photo. And, and I, I, I just think about how much of an idiot I was at age 26 and <laughs> continued to be for a significant portion of time. And I'm sure I still am in, in, in the eyes of a lot of people, but uh, it, it's been, it, it's been fun to kind of, again, take stock in what's happened the last seven years and, I, you know, and, and, and keeping close with you guys and, and still having like the relationship that, yeah, let's get Adam on and then let's, let's catch, up and let's have a chat and talking with Ben and, and Dave and you guys and you know seeing how your guys families have grown and and you know how your careers have developed and you know I I'm I'm very appreciative of that as well it's it's one of the luxuries of getting older and uh I I, I think we can contextualize and appreciate things a lot differently and, and probably more intensely now well Adam your haircut looks great right now uh <laughs> and uh now th- there's the backstory there as well I mean you're, you're you're basically uh, in social distancing quarantine. So uh, how are you staying some, such a fresh look? <laughs> I, let me, let me just say uh, when I, when I use the term harrowing experience, obviously it's again in the very micro sense, but a harrowing experience <laughs> trying to give myself a fade last week. I, I think about a month <laughs> plus, maybe five, five, six weeks ago, I just said, all right, the heck with it. We're, we're getting rid of it all. I, I had a big puffball in my head and, uh, I hadn't had a haircut in, in, in a month and a half at that point. So I just said, all right, let's do what uh, I'm sure a lot of other men are doing right now and just buzz it all off and get it nice and clean. And that was, uh, that was awesome. And it was great. And it was low maintenance. And then uh, the, as it, as it often does, the fuzz ball, the tennis ball fuzz started to, you know, get created on top of my head. And that is not a good look. And uh, I finally got, I finally got to the point where I thought, all right, I need to do need to watch some YouTube videos and uh, and take the plunge. So uh, a lot of good YouTube YouTube people out there. Uh, shout out to all of you for for advising <laughs> all of us amateurs. And uh, I thought I gave myself a serviceable fade, uh, not an experience of high stakes poker I want to have anytime soon. But I did send <laughs> I did send the shots of it to uh, my barber, and she was uh, I won't say impressed. That would probably be going. A little too far, but she was pleasantly surprised at how I didn't manage to screw it up too badly. Oh, That's awesome. Great stuff. Adam, it's great to catch up with you. We wish you continued health and uh, success as you push on in your career. And I'd say remember us when you're famous, but you're already famous. So uh, thanks for remembering <laughs> us. I, I don't know about all that, but, but it, truly, man, it's, it's great to see your, see your voices or uh, see your faces, hear your voices. And, uh, and just catch up. This is, uh, this is awesome. I, I know that's another silver lining in all this. It's a good excuse to uh, catch up with those that you haven't had the time for, maybe to, uh, don't get to see or talk to as often as, uh, as we do. This was a great, uh, great day to, to have this, man. Thanks, guys. You got it, brother. Take care. We'll talk again soon. See you, boys.
Adam Amin on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's amazing. He's awesome. We've known him for a long time, and uh, he's he's been cool, and he continues to grow, and, and he's calling pro really high-level stuff, and it's fun. It's like, hey, there's Adam. There's our guy, right? That's awesome. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. That brings us to our Monday edition of The Best to Wear It, a summer project that has our research team working to determine which BYU athlete was the best to wear each number. We're counting up to 99, and today we focus in on the number 12, Jerem. There were some great football players that wore 12. But the greatest number 12 of BYU is Ryan Millar of men's volleyball. Uh, played from 96 to 99. He's the, he's the best player in men's volleyball history. I, I don't think there's like a huge argument here. Number one in kills all time, number one in blocks. Challenge, challenge that, right? Uh, Four-time <laughs> All-American, first time three times. Uh, volleyball Magazine Player of the Year in 99, when BYU won its first national championship. Three-time first-team All-MPSF. Uh, part of that 99 team that is the greatest team in BYU men's volleyball history, 30-1 and one when he was a senior with Asi Antonetti. Three Olympics, one gold uh, in, in Beijing in 2008. It's just – he's just awesome. Oh, you can't beat it. And you need a resume like that to best guys like Gary Scheide and John Beck, who is our honorable mention today. John Beck, quarterback at BYU from 2003 to 2006, over 11,000 career yards. He was a second-round pick in the NFL draft, third in passing yards at BYU, fourth in touchdowns over his career. He had 17 games of 300-plus passing yards. Remember those days? Remember how fun that was? Good grief. <laughs> 300 yards? Force. He solidified his legacy in the unbelievable Beck to Harleen play. Johnny, who is still open in the end zone at Rice Eccles Stadium, uh, second team All-American in 2006. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, drafted by the Miami Dolphins in the second round. John Beck is our honorable mention at number 12. We love John, especially because we were both in school when John was the quarterback. So, like, he was our quarterback, right, as students at BYU. And, uh, of course, Joe Beck, just one of our favorites. Jason Beck was on the team, so he had Ja, J-A dot Beck. And so Joe Beck uh, was the man, right? We love Jason, too. Absolutely. Jerem, let's play Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Big Deal, No Deal. Okay, at number one. Big deal, no deal. James, I'm sorry, Jim MB being named to the 2020 All-PFF second team. I said it earlier, it's hard to quantify how good an offensive lineman is, right, unless you play the position or coach it. And in our case, it's like, oh, is he good? Well, PFF says he's good. I believe it. I think this is a big deal. And it starts uh, on the O-line offensively. Like, BYU could have a terrible offensive line, great skill position players. But the unskilled position, play, that's just a terrible phrase. You know, we need to get away from that. But those guys <laughs> matter a lot. And it starts with James Empey. He touches the ball every play. There are no sports right now. Well, I mean, golf did play yesterday. But still, Bundesliga. There, there, okay, Bundesliga as well. There are no live sports in America other than simulated golf. So, Jerem, yes, this is a big deal. It's a huge talking point for us. James Empey's really good. I like BYU's offensive line. The bigger deal, obviously, will be if – 
Brady Christensen and James Empey and maybe Tristan Hodge are on at least the second team postseason after the upcoming college football campaign. But, yeah, for now, it's a big deal. Okay, big deal, no deal. The NCAA net ranking simplified to a two-metric system using the team value index and adjusted net efficiency rating. That's like the nerdiest sentence I've ever said on this show. Well, that's debatable, but it's, it's <laughs> up there for sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Apparently, this is going to make the net ranking that much more efficient and better. And um, if it simplifies it while making it better overall, why not? I think it's a big deal. We just know this. You got to play good teams. You got to beat good teams to get into the NCAA tournament. And this new simplified metric will only uh, emphasize that. No deal. I have no understanding of what the changes are. So no deal. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Very good. At number three, big deal, no deal. BYU fans combining to buy over 6,000 Cougar Tails and 2,300 bottles of chocolate milk at a recent drive through event. Oh, of course it's a big deal. That's amazing. Like, these are locals. Uh, some people drove down from, like, Idaho to get some, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, big deal, absolutely. I agree 100%. It's a way to support the cause, support the university, and do so with, the best chocolate milk in America and Mm -hmm. one of the most unique desserts that is available in America with a four foot long maple bar. Are you kidding me? Or three foot long, whatever it is. Cougar tails are awesome. It's awesome. The best of BYU sports nation will be back after this on BYU radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar sports. This is the best of BYU sports nation. It is time to play Would You Rather, presented by Bodyguards, protection for a life worth living. Learn more at bodyguards.com. All right, Jeremy, a brain buster for you at number one, and this is based off a couple of BYU basketball players and their recent trends. Would you rather play a game with a broken wrist, a la Alex Barcelo against St. Mary's, or run the Y, as in up Y Mountain every day like Jesse Wade? Play with a broken wrist because running the Y every day for even one day would be crazy. Playing with a broken wrist is crazy too, though. I mean, that is that is some real toughness. Hopefully Jesse Wade can strengthen that knee and be back for BYU. He's had some issues. But Alex Barcelo, what a heroic act. He made a three, by the way, with that broken wrist. I can't believe I'm going to say this because I want no part of a broken bone and a broken wrist and the pain involved, but it's temporary. If I had to run the Y every day and there was no end in sight, good grief. No, thank you. I will take the broken wrist. One time we shot a commercial up at the Y and I got a four-wheeler ride all the way up. Sounds awesome, right? It was terrible. It was so bumpy and rocks and it was awful. And number two, would you rather be referenced as the Mormon Bill Walton, as Mark Pope was in Sports Illustrated by Pat Forty, or be known as the Mormon Dickie V? Uh, Jeremy, I believe we should be calling it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint Dick Vitale, right? <laughs> yes. yes. I'd, rather go with, I'd rather go with Dickie V. As much as I love Walton, and you know I love me some Walton, uh, Dick Vitale and his high energy. And you know what? This is in reference to Mark Pope. He, he seems like more of a Dickie V personality. He loves college basketball. He's all about it. He talks really high when he gets really excited like Dickie V. Uh, for me, it's Dick Vitale. Yeah, I, I'm going with Bill Walton. I just think Bill's special. 
and uh, go where you want with special. We saw a lot of Bill Walton in the last dance, by the way, as the uh, NBC analyst. Uh, so Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Well, Carl Malone, show up already. <laughs> Please, Greg Ostertag, get a rebound. All right, on to number three. Would you rather be featured in a Wall Street Journal article because you hit a hole-in-one on a golf course or be a celebrity barbecue chef making ribs on an instructional cooking video. Here's looking at you, Fessy Satake. That happened to him for, for both of those things. Um, Hole-in-one is pretty awesome, so I'm going to take that one. Although hanging out with Cam at Bam Bams would be good too because I assume they ate that food. As much as I love barbecue ribs and as much as I love barbecue in general, I haven't scored a hole-in-one on the golf course. I've come really close within a few inches a couple of times, but I've never hit a hole-in-one. So 100% I'm going with the hole-in-one. But does it count in the quarantine, Jerem? Yeah, absolutely. Even with the little foam in there. Come on, of course. Okay, would you rather make the jump from basketball to football like Dalton Nixon's trying to do as a tight end? little video came out recently. Or as a talent scout, he was kind of promoting his quarterback, assessing his talent. Oh, I'm all about the Uncle Rico status, man. You let me play college sports as long as possible, high school sports, yeah, with my defunct throwing motion. If I have an opportunity to extend my playing days, then I will always go that direction. And kind of fun to see Dalton Nixon running some routes. He's got, he's got some work to do with his footwork and whatnot, but it's, it, who knows? It's an intriguing conversation thinking about him in the red zone with his athletic ability to go up and get a ball. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Him just making the team would be enough. Like I, him playing is an offense to the other tight ends that have been playing football for so long. And BYU's loaded at that point. Right, they have some good young talent. So even if Dalton just makes the team, that'd be cool. Um, no, no, no. I would rather make the jump from basketball to football. We, we've we've seen the reverse football to basketball recently, but we've not seen basketball to football. That'd be different. All right, Jerem, this isn't a would you rather so much, but still a question that needs to be asked. Who has more swag? Jim McMahon lighting the Y with a snap of his fingers or Robert and I, Dr. Bob singing a rhinestone cowboy and playing the guitar while wearing a hat with his name on it. A third person reference on his hat. Uh, I'm going to go with Jim McMahon snapping his fingers. Obviously a little magic uh, associated with that one, but it's just Jimmy Mack and he's the best. Robert and I was really good at the guitar and singing and, uh, you know, him wearing a hat like that. He's, he's Robert and I. He doesn't care what we think. We're thing one and thing two. He told us that once. We have it on record. In fact, we need to have that as an immediate drop. Oh, my goodness. That's a complete miscalculation. Uh, I'm going with Jimmy Mack. And this, this set up uh, a cool weekend for BYU Athletics, kind of reliving all of these great games on their Facebook pages. I thought BYU Athletics as a whole did an outstanding job oh, last man. week of engaging the fan base. And they got Jimmy Mack to lead it off as he introed his 1980 Miracle Bowl. I thought that was really cool. I kind of forget that I was the sideline reporter until this week. I was like, oh, yeah, I was on those games in, like, 2010. So it's been a, it's been a fun decade. People are like, Jeremy, you look really young. It's like, yes, I was 10 years younger. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. BYU's newest basketball commit out of the great state of Washington. His name is Tanner Toulson, joining us via Zoom on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Tanner, uh, first and foremost, congratulations on signing with BYU Basketball. Yeah. Thank you. Let's go, man. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Um, Obviously, you're excited, but no joke, this is the final interview that you will do with Wisdom Teeth. Because you're going to go get your wisdom teeth out right after this. So how are you feeling emotionally right now? Exactly. No, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty nervous, to be honest, but it should be good. <laughs> More nervous for this or a state tournament game? Oh, this by far. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, let's talk about your well. journey. Um, so I used to live in Vancouver as well for a couple of years, 94, 95, uh, well before you were born. Uh, but – we, we know Andy is, as a former Cougar. He's, he's broadcast games on BYU TV in the past. Uh, I've been able to work with him. Of course, Connor was an excellent player at Utah Valley. Uh, Jake, your cousin. So we know a lot about the fam, uh, but this was, this was a decision you still had to make. So mm-hmm. certainly they influenced you, but uh, what ultimately led you to decide to sign with the Cougars? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, obviously I have family ties with BYU. And uh, once I got that opportunity, I feel like it'd be really, really hard, hard option to turn down. And uh, after a lot of prayer and thought, um, I just eventually thought that this would be the place for me. What is a Mark Pope recruiting pitch like as a player? <laughs> I mean, Mark's, Mark's super uh, into everything. He has, he's got a lot of energy. Um, I mean, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty cool, the recruiting process that I went through with him. And um, he just told me what it is and what he sees in me and what he sees me doing at BYU, and it's pretty cool. I assume the family's a big fan of him since Connor went to Utah Valley with him. So what is it that you've learned maybe in your experience now being recruited by him as opposed to being Connor's younger brother previously? I mean, yeah, he's, he's a fantastic coach. I mean, he's led UVU into uh, two, or two or three great seasons or four, four great seasons. And obviously, after that, he got the job at BYU. And last year, um, he led them to um, a great, another great season. And we're hoping to continue that uh, in future years. How many BYU highlights have you seen of your dad, Andy? Quite a few. Quite a few. <laughs> he would always pull them up. And I just um, – I, I love watching him. Do, is, it, is it always going to be Andy with the Trump card because he's got the NBA on the resume, right? Um, maybe for a little bit, but hopefully not. Hopefully not when I come to BYU. You're going to challenge that? Exactly. There you go. Yeah, I'm gathering there's some real competition between uh, you and your brother and your dad. Who's the best shooter in the household right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, we always, we always go to the church and shoot and have competitions. We always uh, – we're, we're all competitive, so it's – Sometimes it ends up pretty bad, but it usually ends up pretty, pretty fun, competitive. So Connor, Connor went to Lone Peak, so you guys were locally, uh, local to BYU there, but you guys end up moving to Washington. Uh, how long have you been in Vancouver? We moved up to Washington my eighth grade year, so we've been up there for five years. Um, I played my high school career there at Union High School. Um, I had great, great coaches, great team. Uh, I'm just super grateful for all my experiences up there, and, but I'm glad to be back. Was that hard? Because obviously when Connor played at Lone Peak, it's a national championship. It's this amazing run, right? Certainly there have been some new coaching staffs since Quincy Lewis left. But 
was that hard to, to end up going to a different high school? You went to, uh, or you went to Union High School mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. So, watch, growing up watching Connor play at Low Peak, I've always, I always wanted to be able to go there. And uh, when I figured out we were moving, I was, I was disappointed, obviously. But um, there was up, up at Union was something I'd, I would never trade for anything. I'm so grateful for the experiences I had up there and glad we moved up there and got, got, got to play with those guys. Tanner Toulson with us on BYU Sports Nation, BYU Basketball, uh, brand new commit. For those that haven't seen you play, Tanner, how would you explain your skill set and the type of player that you are? Um, I'm a slasher, a wing, uh, pretty, I can get to the hoop, pretty athletic, and I love shooting, shooting the ball. How much different are you from your uh, cousin, Jake? Because we're pretty familiar with kind of Connor's game and Jake, and there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, yeah. Me and Jake are pretty similar. We can both shoot it. He's probably a little bigger than me, uses his body really well. Um, hopefully I can be able to get to that level, but I feel like I, I'm a little bit more explosive and athletic than him, but he's really fundamentally sound. Is he okay, okay so- with that comment? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> me, I, I love Jake. He's, he's, he's a great guy. But. Are you fiery as Jake? Because he's like, like <laughs> on it, right? Oh yeah. Um, I would. I would like to think so. I mean, but I guess you can't really see that until you see me play. This just in on BYU Sports Nation. Tanner Toulson says he's more athletic than Jake Toulson. Okay. <laughs> I, so listen, no, I like this. No, <laughs> I like, <not> like that. <laughs> oh man. We, we kid. We kid. Kind of. Mm, That's probably yeah, yeah. going to get tweeted out by somebody at some point. <laughs> Let's go. Tanner, Mark Pope said you have a silky smooth jumper. The last mm. player that I described as having a silky smooth jumper, at least on a regular basis, was Tyler Hawes. So mm. does your game compare to what Tyler Hawes did? I mean, it's hard to compare to, to him just because he's, he's such a great player at BYU and has such a great career. But, I mean, um, I would like to hopefully have a career like that someday and to be able to live up to the expectation. In the 2022-23 roster, there's eight or nine backcourt players already signed. Like, there's this real nice group forming, right? And Dallin Hall was one of those guys that signed, like you, about a month, month and a half ago. Do you have a relationship with any of those guys that are going to be on the roster in the future with you? Yeah, um, kind of. I played with – I played against and with Dallin Hall when I was in AAU, like, sixth, seventh grade growing up. But – um, I haven't really talked to him or the other commits so far. I'll probably reach out to him. But, yeah, it should be should be pretty special, 2022 class. So what's your timetable right now in terms of uh, preparing for a mission? Do you have your call? If so, where are you going? And, and what's the timetable there? Yeah, so I got my call a few weeks ago. Um, I leave July 15th to Jacksonville, Florida. Nice. Oh, yep. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm super pumped. But so then after – after I come back from my mission, I'll be a freshman in 2022. That, that's super exciting, Jacksonville, Florida. That's awesome. So you can still hoop it up. Because, listen, when I went to Brazil, there weren't, you know, buckets to be had. Uh-huh. I was the ball around, right? So I'm excited you can at least go to the gym and get some shots up, which will be good. So yep. What, yep. What, what's it like uh, knowing you're not going to play for a couple of years, yet this is such a huge part of your life and kind of who you are to a great degree, right? You're a basketball player, sign up BYU, yet you're going on a mission and you have kind of this bigger goal. What, what's that like as you, you wait, but you also prepare for that? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I feel like the mission is a great thing for me. 
And for me to be able to do that is a, a, a great honor for me to serve our Heavenly Father. But, I mean, obviously I got to still prepare, got to keep in shape, uh, try to do as much as I can on the mission to be able to come back and kill it at BYU. Tanner, we're stoked for you, man. And uh, we're really excited that you're going to get your wisdom teeth out as well. It's, it's life-changing, man. What, so, what, what's, what's a piece of wisdom you want to share with us before you get them removed? Oh, no. I, I, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know what I would say to that. But what, what, do, you, what do you like to do besides uh, basketball? Uh, I, like to, I like to be outside, go play other sports, football, basketball, soccer, um, baseball, just anything to get outside and just, I don't know. Okay. He's an athlete. Like we, like we determined <laughs> earlier, he's clearly an athlete. Uh, Tanner, let's give you some BYU sports nation karma for, uh, the wisdom teeth extracture and for your mission in Jacksonville, Florida. Congratulations again. It's great talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Tanner Toulson with us on the Deseret first credit union hotline. Deseret first, you know why we show how. Listen, I like him a lot, um, and it all goes back to obviously a legacy coup, and that that matters. Uh, so, you know, sometimes when when those guys get away, Spence, we go, ah, oh, you know what? But it's going to be. I want the sons and daughters of former players that had a great experience that can have a great experience themselves and pass it on to their kids. Like I want that for my kids, right? The BYU experience, and I'm stoked for Tanner Tulson. Also, obviously, so Danny Ainge marries Michelle Toulson, and there's, there's obviously kind of that line. Like, basketball is in the blood of these guys, and Tanner Toulson's going to be another baller, and I can't wait for the 2022 season already. Yes, give me all the Toulsons, give me all the Haas, give me all the Lewises and the Bushmans and the Kafusis. Like, give them all to me. I'm all about it. <laughs> and let's grow some other families, too. Like, this can't be Star Wars where it's like the Skywalkers and – you know, the emperor and the, their kids. It's like, we need more families as well. All these and new ones, like, and, and the empire grows. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We just saw a tweet from our colleague Jason Shepard saying, hey, one year ago we were in Nashville doing the BYU Fan Fest. That was a really fun trip. Really, really fun trip. It was a great turnout by Cougar Nation. That was awesome. Took a picture in front of Nissan Stadium, home of the Tennessee Titans, uh, which transitions us to Deep Blue. This week's feature, Gavin Baxter of BYU Basketball, Deep Blue, presented by Tim Daly Nissan. Uh, we want Gavin to get an additional year. He only played, uh, I think, in six or eight six, games. Yeah, six to eight games for BYU. He, we never really got to see like what he could do, but he wanted to be part of the special season, and then it gets shut down. Yeah. So um, that seven games officially to be determined. For the meantime, here is your inside look at Gavin Baxter. My name is Gavin Baxter. I am from Provo, Utah. Cannon. We got Gavin. Penetrate, lobs it to Baxter. Baxter finishes the alley-oop. Gavin is a pretty quiet, shy guy at first. Takes a little while to get to know him. He's always been a pretty relaxed kid. Didn't seem like he was overly competitive when he was a kid. He's kind of got more competitive over the years, I think, as the level of the demands of basketball has increased. Great kid. And once you do get him to open up and talk, he's just as crazy as it gets. He's yelling like crazy on the sidelines during games, during practice. But he's another guy who beats to his own drum. 
One thing that people may not know about Gavin Baxter is he is my personal urban vocabulary lexicon. On the way to Media Day in Las Vegas, he actually challenged me to use whip and bougie in the same sentence in an interview, which I successfully did. He's taught me about drip and whip. Yes. Yes. You know whip? Yeah, these are all important terms. And bougie. I got instruction on bougie yesterday. See, look at this. The film crew doesn't know what that means. They're like, I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, then who do you think's the bougiest on the team? It's Gab. It's got to be yeah. Gab. Gab has, Gab is like, Gab takes you. this seriously. He's having the conversation with Coach. It's for sure Gab <laughs> My mom has been such a huge person in my life. I think a lot of it goes back to how she grew up and her story. My parents are from the West Indies and they actually emigrated to the UK when they were just having kids and I was born in London. But a few months later, we moved up to Glasgow, to Scotland. And that's where I actually grew up my whole life. And probably not the, the greatest of circumstances. She didn't have a lot, but she did have a talent for running. I thought that sounded like a fun thing to do. My dad used to be a runner. My uncle ran in the Olympics for Trinidad. And so there was this idea, okay, I'll go and try running, not really thinking much of it. But I actually found out I was pretty good at it. And by high school, I was running on a national level. I came over to BYU and the track coach recruited me to run on BYU's team. He read about me in a magazine and thought that I looked like I'd, I'd fit into the BYU culture. And so that's how I got to, to Provo. I didn't know anything about America. I'd never been to America before. I took it as a good opportunity to come over and to take my chances and see what happened. I mean, I spent more time in this building than anywhere in this city. It really was kind of my second home. She's really been an, an example to me of using your talents to not only help yourself and improve your life, but others around you, your family, your friends, anybody you come across, not being satisfied with where you're at, but always pushing yourself, even when things are hard in the face of adversity, just to improve yourself, become a better person, no matter what's happening around you. Every athlete, their biggest fear is getting injured. I went out for a rebound and just got tangled up with one of my teammates and my shoulder got dislocated. It was just kind of a freak thing. He was just going for a rebound. It didn't look any, like anything too serious on film. Just two guys going for a rebound and he just got twisted the wrong way. Go to get an MRI and I find out that I tore my labrum. And they're like, okay, so this is going to be four to six months for the entire season. So that, of course, was... A huge blow to me because I had spent the entire summer working on my game, getting stronger, faster. And so this was really tough for me. It's had a huge impact. We had a bunch of things this summer and mostly fall that were going to obviously include him. So we've had to kind of rearrange our offense and how we're going to guard defensively in some ways. It's really hard because he's, he's having to really um, push himself even though he actually can't get to play the games. And usually during season, that's your motivation. You're like, okay, I've got a game this weekend. I've got to get my shot. I've got to do this. So he doesn't have the same feedback on a weekly basis that the players who are actually playing in the game. So I think that's, that's tough. You have to be even a little more mentally tough to push yourself when the immediate reward is not there. You're looking long-term. You're saying, I'm investing for next season. That's what this sport is about. I mean, that's what sports is about, is, is you endure the disappointments when they come your way, and you build on them and grow, and, and, and he'll do that for sure. I'm not able to play right now, but that doesn't mean I should be any less involved or any less of a teammate, and so that's really helped me in my perspective of the game. He, he's been incredible. It's been awesome having him on the road with us, with our guys, just being around. 
think it's made, it made him a better teammate, I would probably say, because he can't help them out there, and he has to cheer them from the sidelines. Gavin Baxter is literally, no exaggeration, one of the elite athletes in all of college basketball. His length, uh, his verticality off the floor, his intensity, his timing around the rim, and catching balls and finishing is, is off the charts. And the only good thing about him being hurt this year is we get him for three more years on the tail end. But he has so much growth potential in his game, it's almost staggering to think about. He's going to be an extraordinary player. We can't wait to see what extraordinary things Gavin Baxter does in the near future. And at the time, he was not, he was not expected to return. So he ends up playing this year. He plays in seven games. He scores a total of nine points. He takes a total of eight shots. So you look statistically and go, oh, was it worth it? Mark Pope says BYU doesn't beat Gonzaga without Gavin Baxter. He thinks that defensively they needed his presence. So I would argue it was totally, totally worth, worth it. it because BYU gets Matt Harms in part because they beat Gonzaga. They get in other people's top sevens, in part because they beat (laughs) Gonzaga. I think Gavin Baxter returning was a huge deal. The Cougars are on the radar of some serious potential transfers. Yes, they are. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Ohio State University, excuse me, the Ohio State University is currently conceptualizing and considering a plan that would allow somewhere between 20 and 30,000 fans to attend home college football games at the historic Horseshoe this fall. Within this plan are measures to maintain adequate social distancing and create a safe, healthy environment for attendees. Now, for the record, the Horseshoe has a seating capacity of just under 105,000. Do some quick math, and that's about 20 to 30% of the stadium's capacity. Jeremy Lavelle Edwards Stadium, with similar math applied, that would equal about 15 to roughly 18,000 fans in a venue that holds up to 63,000. Is this proposed model a reasonable expectation for fans given the current COVID-19 pandemic situation. There's so many questions I have to ask with this. Is it, okay, your household can sit next to each other? Because you don't have to be six feet away from those you're hanging out with all the time in your house, right? It's the other groups of people, like you and I, are more than six feet away sitting here, right? And how do you govern that it's actually a family? Right, and when they're coming in, is everyone spread out? Like, it's going to take hours to maybe get these people seated? Um, I I don't know. I I think we're all kind of scratching at what we don't know, which is, okay, in a few months, what's this going to be like? Currently, yeah, the question is, and this is our question of the day we'll get to, is are you comfortable going in the first place, right? So I would imagine people have masks. Our existence is completely different right now and it will be for a while until there's a vaccine and then we feel comfortable getting potentially getting sick but we have the answer to it for most cases that's not going to be all cases but the idea of what we're seeing on BYT of people right next to each other <laughs> swaying back and forth just, arms around each other it just feels weird right like slapping uh, high fives with random fans in the stands. I, it's that when I tweeted last week, when I see that, I feel like, wow, that was a long time ago. Never in the Earth's history have we had the issues we had, the blessings and the issues we have now. 
travel, technology, these have created a situation where things can spread much quicker, right? And the fact that we have sports and its role in the economy is different. We need to get out there and be playing at some point, right? There are certain people's jobs, and there's a certain level of mental health associated with sports that a lot of us are experiencing. Like, no sports. What's going on? Yes, there are other other things in life, but if you're watching this, you're probably a fan of sports. I would like sports back emotionally, mentally at some point, but obviously safety is at the forefront. I've always been a handshake guy. When am I going to shake somebody's hand again? Will that ever happen again? It'll happen again. We need a vaccine, one. probably, right, for people to feel comfortable about shaking hands. I, I like the idea. I think it's smart of Ohio State to get out ahead of this conversation and just kind of put something out there and say, hey, we think we can do this. And uh, I, I don't know how feasible it is when you're considering concessions and oh, moving concessions. tunnels. No, you're bringing in your own food probably, right? You're going to require everyone to wear a mask and all of that stuff. I, I like the idea. I, I like that they are progressively and actively looking at something that if we can play college football, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be impossible to govern fans other than making sure that they stay in designated seating areas okay like you can probably do that but how do you know hey is that a member of your family is is that person approved to be in your you can't do that what you can do is mandate that okay you can sit 25 people here and then this number of feet away you can sit another group of up to 25 people that that's about all you can manage but really it comes down to how comfortable each individual feels about attending a game. Like, are you okay going into a stadium with upwards of twenty to 30,000 people in the case of Ohio State? Are you comfortable mentally doing that? And as you said, Jerem, our question of the day is going to attack that. I think that a lot of people, especially in the state of Utah, BYU fans in the state of Utah are leaning towards, yeah, because we have flattened the curve and things are now at the yellow designation. It's not a red or orange scenario. But things can change very quickly. <laughs> right, right. And uh, let's be honest, the least of our concerns is like attending a football game, you know. But if we can do it, we'll do it. Purdue men's basketball coach Matt Painter was asked about a few of his players who transferred recently and left saying they weren't boiling makers if you walk out the door in the end and saying don't run from adversity. So, Spencer, should transfers be praised or vilified? When it comes to a head basketball coach at a prestigious Division I university, I just am not okay with a guy like Matt Painter going on record and essentially throwing Matt Harms and other guys under the verbal bus. Like, that, that doesn't seem mature to me. If it's fans and people that invest money into the program and want to get on social media and rant and spat about it, Fine. I totally get that. There will always be negative feelings. And if I'm being completely open, I've been in scenarios where guys have transferred away from BYU and I've had to take a step back and think, okay, separate the emotions from this decision. Try and understand why they're doing this. And and that helps. But there is a natural feeling of, why would you leave BYU? Why would you do that? Why would you defect to somewhere else? So There is a negative emotion naturally tied to that. But when you're in a position as a head coach like Matt Painter 
that just seems childish and immature. Like what, what are you doing? What are you gaining out of this? You just seem like a crazy ex-girlfriend, if anything. Like, oh, fine. Yeah, you go. We're going we're gonna to win the national championship. Have fun at BYU not being noticed. And good luck getting to the NBA. Like, you seem like the crazy ex in that situation. And so I don't think it's a good look for Matt Painter to do that. Uh, rather than – and I look at Mark Pope or even Kalani Satake. Like, while it might be hard, they're like, hey, we want the kids to be happy. We want the guys to be happy. We wish them the best of luck. We know that there's upset, but like, don't go on record and say that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it all depends how good the player is. If the player's no good, we don't care. Like, like, uh, or if they haven't kind of contributed quite yet, right? When Frank Bartley the fourth left BYU, we weren't up in arms, right? He goes on to be this really good player in the Sun Belt at Louisiana, and we go, good for you. That that's not a threat, right? When Jordan Chapman goes to Boston College, and that one's complicated, we go, oh, man. When Jake Toulson goes to Utah Valley, luckily he came back, we go, what? When Mark- Matt Carlino leaves, we go, what's going on? Right? It's natural to feel frustrated. I would even argue to some point, like, when Eric Mika left early to go to the NBA and then didn't get drafted uh, and went internationally, we were like, why would you leave if you weren't picked? Just any leaving BYU and going somewhere else, we get frustrated. Now, it takes another level if you go to a rival. And, like, Francis Bernard obviously had nice. some issues off the field. Goes to Utah, and it's like, wait, what are you doing? You were just a really good player for us, and now you're with them? Uh, Devin Kafusi, to some degree, has been vilified. Uh, although we love the Kafusi, so there's more of a connection there. Um, I think emotionally with the legacy angle that we addressed on yesterday's show. I think it depends. Sometimes a guy leaving is really good. Let's be honest. We love Nick Emery as a person. He dogged on the coaching staff, and then he left that team, and the team did really well. Like, did that team need Nick Emery off of it? It kind of seems like that was the case. I love Nick as a person, but for some reason, that wasn't a good fit. And that ended up being something that worked out for BYU. And look at the BYU men's basketball coaching staff. They know that transfers work. Pope went from Washington to Kentucky, and Burgess went from Duke to Utah. It worked for them, and sometimes it's uncomfortable and we're trying to we, – we love these players as what, how they help BYU. And if you don't, sometimes they can be vilified. And I think that's somewhat understandable. Yeah, and even this past season, you watch a guy like Blaze Neald, who was not seeing a ton of court time. And Coach Pope and Coach Burgess and Fieger and Robinson, they understand what it's like. And so Blaze Neald's now on his way to Utah Valley University. And, and like, we go, good, like, hopefully you're awesome. You know? Go get it done, man. Go get but it like done. If but, Connor Harding left, we'd be ticked. You know what I mean? Yes. We're no back. question. Yeah. No question. Every situation is different, and it all depends on how much you contributed while you were at BYU. So in the case of Frank Bartley and Jordan Chapman, yeah, it's like, oh, man, what could have been? What could have been with Chapman, who went to Boston College and made a bunch of threes? But I'm my the villainry isn't really on Jordan Chapman. It's more of the situation that he was in and – how come BYU couldn't be more conducive to letting him stay? It's complicated, right? But if you're a star, like the Carlino thing was hard because you wonder, like, what if? What if he had stayed? What would BYU have been able to do? But Don't even you know, get Steve Pierce going on that one. Come on. I know. I know <laughs> it. Interesting conversation for sure. 
Associated Press reports the Pac-12 has discussed regular season games with 11 conference games only. BYU without a conference could be left to the whims of whatever is left over, potentially an independent schedule. We'll see. But let's look at 11 games. If you could remove one game from this year's BYU football schedule, which game would it be? I'm going to do you a favor, Jerem. Me? Yep. How about Cougar Nation? Okay. <laughs> Week four at Minnesota. Take that You're ruining game, Matt Richardson's life. Take that game off the schedule. And it's more about the week four scenario than it is about the actual opponent of Minnesota. If BYU wanted to play Minnesota in week one, week two, week three, week five, great. Just not week four, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU football is one in four in week four against Power Five opponents during the independence era the lone win came against virginia at the height of Taysom hills athletic awesomeness at byu i believe virginia went two and ten that year no 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 sorry five and seven i believe five and seven but still a losing record seven way better my bad a losing record for virginia that year (laughs) byu had losses to michigan 31 nothing at the big house yikes Got blown out at home against Wisconsin in 2017. Lost a tough game against West Virginia in 2016. And got blown out last year by Washington in the game that Tyson Williams blew out his knee. Week 4 has been a beast for the Cougars over nearly a decade of independence. Wait, so you're saying playing a bunch of Power 5s in a row is hard? At the beginning of the season when the majority are on the road. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. is the Wisconsin theory. Before that year in 2017, I said, there's no way BYU's winning this game because it's the fourth Power 5 in a row. BYU can move the Minnesota game to another week. Just don't play the Gophers on the road against Row the Boat in week four. It's a road game and the fourth consecutive Power 5 team to open up the 2020 season. Three of those happening away from Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Please give me North Alabama in week number four. Just as a respite, a respite from having to play Utah, Arizona State. Like it, it just, there needs to be a break. It's so much so early. So if I could remove one game from this year's schedule, it would be week four against Minnesota. I agree. Yeah, the four in a row, it's just too hard. You're just begging for one and three or two and two, right? Uh, I would love the opportunity to go three and one and feel comfortable coming out of that or, you know, no worse than two and two. But we're looking at the, hey, two and two would be great. That's the scenario that we're in because of the schedule. It's relatively great. It's not actually great, right? Two and two is never great, you know. It's 500. No, it's not great. It's relatively great. Uh, Arizona State's an interesting one if we couldn't do Minnesota right. Um, eight and five team. They, they feel like they're building and growing, right? Jaden Daniels, dual threat guy. They like him. Uh, Minnesota, yeah, I, I agree with that answer. Uh, I would not want to take off Utah. I would not want to take off Michigan State for quality home game. And I'm with you. You can't make it a bye week. You've got to play somebody. So why not North Alabama? Live on BYU TV in week three. Give me North or Alabama. Four. Yeah. Please, just some type of break. It should be North Alabama. Yeah. That's right. You whisper the first part, and then it sounds like it's Alabama. You've got Utah, (laughs) Michigan State, at Arizona State, and then you got to go from playing at Arizona State to Minnesota? I mean, that... They have airplanes, so luckily they'll fly, but... I mean, if they had to, like, drive, that'd be harder. I just hope the football is happening. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. 
Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. I cannot even begin to explain how unbelievably ecstatic I am to announce that we have time. Yeah. For Dennis Pitta today. Producers, it's not me. Everyone thinks it's me. On the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom, Dennis, welcome, my friend, back to BYU Sports Nation. Thank you, guys. It's good to be here. Jerem, it's definitely you. That's, that's the <laughs> issue. Uh, the truth. Uh, We're are all you- out of lockdown. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Allowing me to come out of quarantine and join your show. Well, it took two months, but yeah. Um, the, the, hair is, the hair is flowing nicely. The interior design looks excellent in your room. Are you kind of showing off that room? Or are you, is that yeah, the this, point here? <laughs> you're getting a very rare glimpse at my bedroom, actually. It's one of the only places that I can lock my kids out. And, uh, <laughs> it's keeping quiet for a little bit of time to talk to you guys. I, um, I've been yearning for some mature conversation. I, I know I won't get it on this show out of YouTube, but um, you know, we can hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, you... You knew what we were when you picked us up, yes. right? Yeah. So let us continue with exactly this. What you are, yeah. Yeah. Let us continue with this childish conversation. Okay, Dennis. We were just talking about BYU logos, um, and we've been asking BYU fans to choose. This three. is where we're at on May twenty second. Uh-huh. We're talking about logos. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're really, you're really digging deep for anything right? to talk about. <laughs> right. What's your favorite BYU logo, and why? Do I have like? Do you have a graphic I can look at? Like, yeah. Let, yeah. We'll, we'll throw up a graphic. Actually, yeah. No. I, I, um, that one that's, that's over Jerem's shoulder there. It's sideways. What's that one? The, the Sailor Coog. Oh yeah. That's a good one. That's kind of like brings back a little bit of retro vibe. Okay. Here we go. I see it now. Yeah. What do you, what do you like here? Yeah. So one and, and you lived in the tan me. era too. You played in the tan era. I was the final, uh, my freshman year was the final tan era Jersey. Those were bad, though. I look back at those. We, we weren't as terrible as the white bib jersey. Yeah, all they time They had graduated bad. from the white bib to more of like a solid front, but they were still really, really ugly jerseys. But I really like number two. I kind of like the retro. I, I'm, I'm into retro right now. So two's kind of got a retro vibe. I like three a lot. Six, I guess, is what our current logo is. That's... It's fine. It doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Five <laughs> reminds me of Yale, so I can't really go that route. Okay. Uh, three, two and three for me. I really like those. I kind of. Yeah. Okay. That's, the Beat Digger that's and, the, and the Sailor Coog. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, it kind of feels like that's the majority of responses. A, a lot of our fans. Yeah that's, yeah, that's where they're at, which is awesome. Uh, Wait, number two is called the Beat Digger? The yeah, Beat Digger. Like he's digging up a bit. That's what, I don't understand it either, but I don't know beats and <laughs> Yeah, Jordan wasn't a school that I – yeah, anyway. so Cougars, uh, I didn't know Cougars search for beats. I didn't know that yeah, was, that was a Man search for beat – yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. We've been doing the best to wear it. Um, we had Max Hall versus Taylor Sander yesterday. I think I know what your opinion would be on that one. But when 32 comes up, do you feel like Taylor you have Sanders, an argument against Jimmer? Um, because I yeah, do not. so I'm going I'm to square off against Jimmer, which is going to be an interesting <laughs> – <laughs> I don't <laughs> – I don't like uh, my odds in that in that matchup. Now, I I will say I think Jimmer chose number thirty two because of me, so I should get some credit for that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> We're gonna have to check that, but yeah. 
<laughs> you can ask him about that. that. That's at least what I tell people. Oh, yeah, Jimmer. Yeah, he's a big fan of mine. He chose yeah. 32 because I was 32. Yeah, no one else is worth 32. Only one of yeah, you pretty- caught a touchdown in a Super Bowl, Dennis. That's a very good. That's a very now, good argument. Now that's with number eighty-eight. Why? Why were you eighty-eight on the Ravens? And who was thirty-two? Well, the NFL, you cannot be whatever number you want to be. College, you can be any number. The NFL, if you're a tight end, you have to be in the eighties or you have to be in the forties. And I hate forty numbers. I don't want to be forty-four <laughs> and look like a fullback. And <laughs> so I had to be in the eighties. And and to be honest, they assigned me eighty-eight. I could have changed it when I got there, but when I first got there, I was eighty-eight. And I was like, oh, I, I like 88. I could stick with that. I mean, it wouldn't have been my first choice. I'm not an 80 numbers guy. I've been 32 pretty much since I remember all through high school at BYU. Actually, my freshman year, I got to BYU. You know, I, I had the whole walk-on story, so nobody knew who I was. They gave me number 91 my first year. <laughs> Isn't and that when like, Croton called you the wrong name? I'm a tight end. I'm not a defensive lineman. <laughs> but I wore 91 like through spring ball all the way until we got to the 2004 season. And I went up, I think, to Coach Croton in his office. And I said, listen, like, I can't be 91. Like, I just can't feel good about myself <laughs> in 91 and even play at any kind of a high level wearing a defensive lineman number. And so they shift some stuff around. I was able to go to 88. So I was actually number 88 for the season my freshman year. Hmm. So when I went back to the Ravens and they had 88, I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll go back to that number. Hey, Andrew George number, right? You're, you're running main at tight end. Not bad. Uh, what, was, yeah. what did Gary Croton call you again? He called you the wrong name or something? Yeah, so Gary Croton called me Dustin on several occasions. <laughs> There's spring ball. What's funny is I was just actually talking to John Beck the other day about when I first got to BYU. And I, I, I actually just spoke. Coach Grimes had uh, me come on and talk to the BYU offense via Zoom just like this. And um, I told this story. He wanted me to tell my walk-on story a little bit. And so I told this story that John Beck relayed to me when, he, when I first got to BYU. We were out. It was like winter workout, so there can't be any coaches it's just player run practices and you're doing like seven on seven throwing routes and stuff like that. And I, I must have somehow snuck into the first group. Cause I was like a wide receiver at the time and nobody knew who I was. Somehow I was in the, like the first group with John Beck who was the starting quarterback. And he threw me a couple balls. Like I remember catching a deep ball down the sideline anyways. And, and John, after the practice went up to coach Croton's office and they would sit you know, once a day or every other day. And Croton would always ask him, so who, who looks good out there? Like who's kind of standing out. And John said, after that day, he went up and he said, listen, there's this kid, uh, kind of a tall kid receiver. I think his name is Dennis. He looked pretty good out there today. And coach Croton replied to him, John, we have nobody on the team named Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) And, so John's like, no, I asked him his name, and he said it was Dennis. So I don't know. And Croton's just like, John, we have nobody on the team like that. I don't know what you're talking about. Fast forward, we're into spring ball, and Coach Croton still doesn't know my name's Dennis. He's calling me Dustin. <laughs> that was my start at BYU from humble beginning. You don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you, you number 91, fed, Dustin, get over here. Dustin Pitta was right. way better than Dennis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Dennis Great stuff. That's an outstanding story. Uh, okay, speaking of John Beck, he's been working closely with Zach Wilson, even through this uh, these quarantine measures and hanging out in Southern California. 
why do you think that Zach Wilson, coached by John Beck in the offseason, is ready for a breakout season in 2020? Well, listen, ironically enough, I just talked to John last night. He called me, and we were talking about something else. Um, and I don't even remember how Zach Wilson got brought up. But he started telling me about Zach Wilson, and he's like, Dennis, Zach, or he said, Dustin, Zach. <laughs> no, John knows my name. He called me Dennis. He said, Zach looks awesome. He's big. He's athletic. He's throwing the ball so well right now. And, you know, they haven't been able to do practices and all that with the team, obviously, because of the circumstances that we're all seeing. But um, he's been able to do these private workouts with John, and, and John just was raving about him, completely unwarranted. You know, I didn't ask him anything about Zach. He just kind of went in and started telling me about him. And he was like, they are incredibly excited about what the potential is for this offense because of how good Zach looks and how hard he's kind of worked through this past off season. And, and he said, just from a mental standpoint, his ability to break down film and all that, he just has such an advantage. John was even telling me from, from back when he was playing quarterback at BYU, he's like, he's light years ahead from a mental standpoint of understanding the game and know where to go with the football and all that. And then just his, his arm talent now and, and him being healthy for a full year and, and everything that he just said, he, I mean, he was raving about him. And so I said, John, settle down. Okay. He's just, just a guy. Do you want to date him or what? I mean, and, uh, but no, he, I mean, just a glowing review. And so I obviously haven't been able to see him, see any of Zach personally, but just hearing what, what John had to say and then the guys that are working closely with them right now, I think we should all be pretty excited. And I think there's not going to be any doubt that Zach will be the guy um, heading into the season. Yeah. And as an upperclassman, it's like, okay, let's make the jump, right? Let's, let's take it up a notch. Let's finish with this. I always love hearing stories from, uh, you know, past players. So let's go to 09 Oklahoma. Let's go to the final drive. You guys call two plays, a third down and a fourth down that you end up catching and converting and getting, you know, 20 plus yards on. Recount kind of what happened in that sequence to lead to one of the biggest wins in BYU history. Yeah. Um, so I'll preface this story by saying on the bus ride to the stadium before the game, we were sitting with McKay Jacobson and McKay was, was dating this girl. And um, we said, McKay, if you catch a game-winning touchdown in this game. I'm not even joking. This conversation happened. If you catch a game-winning touchdown in this game, you have to propose to your girlfriend. <laughs> and lo and behold, that drive that you're talking about ended with the McKay-Jacobson touchdown in the end zone. And so, like, that's all. When that touchdown happened, we were, like, jumping up and down, celebrating with him. And we just kept yelling at him, you have to propose. You got to propose. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the end zone? The perfect yeah, it was just – I don't know if he actually did it. I mean, he, he ended up doing it because they got married later. But um, it was just like the most hilarious and, and awesome ending to that game. Um, so I'll, I'll preface by saying that. But that last drive was, was – I, mean, I guess the only thing I really remember from that last drive is when we went for it on fourth down. And it was like we were driving, we were moving the ball pretty good, and then we got kind of stuck on third down. It was third and five, I think. We had an incompletion. And so we're kind of all jogging back to the huddle and we, we get the call from the sideline and it's a hurry up play. We had a couple plays that were like, when the, the call comes in from the sideline, it was just like one word code word. We already knew what the play was. And it's just, you sprint to the line, you run the play. And so coach and I, to his credit, 
just was totally prepared for the moment. And it didn't allow anybody any time to think or process or realize how big of a play that was going to be in that game. Because fourth and five, we don't convert there. We lose the game. And so the play was, and I don't even remember the formation, but I was just flexed out barely to the right side of the formation. And I just had a five-yard out. And, yeah, there it is right there. And so we sprint up to the line. We get the call, whatever. I can't remember what the code word was. I wish I, I remember it. But we, we all run to the line. No time to think. And it's just like, boom, that we snap the ball, and I released. And, and the defense is kind of frozen by this a little bit because fourth and five, typically you're going to huddle. Men even burn a timeout. They really want to kind of think about the scenario, go through what they're going to call. But, boom, we ran that play, and it kind of caught them off guard. I mean, a simple five-yard out, he just kind of ran away from the middle linebacker that was kind of tucked in the box. And Max put it right on me. I was able to turn up, get some extra yards, and I think I lost my helmet on the play at the end. <laughs> Fittingly. Well, that's every play. Fittingly. Yeah. And, so, um, and then a couple of plays after, I don't know if it was one or two, three plays after, um, McKay Jacobson, I was running like a little sit route on the goal line, and he had um, kind of a dig or kind of bent in around behind me and just got lost behind me in the defense and and max hit him with it and that was the game so just like you look back at that game that's the one play and kind of sequence that i really remember just in the moment when the biggest moment of our season arguably the biggest moment of that game um you know we were we were just you didn't have to think coach and i was you know it, it took some uh real guts to to make that call and and it worked out Dennis, outstanding uh, stuff, man. Great to catch up. Maybe with we'll you. have you on again at some point. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'll. I yeah, will. Maybe I'll get a haircut next time. It's a <laughs> Look at that, Jackie Moon over here. Uh, yeah, some of us haven't had the luxury of our, having our personal barber come to our house like you, Jared, <laughs> shaving our part. Dennis, we did our uh, our whole quarantine lockdown. We did a hat show. It was awesome. Yes, we did. We we didn't get our hangout in Arizona earlier this month, but I promise you, at some point, it's going to happen, man. It's going to happen. Okay, let's make it happen. All right, brother. Great to catch up. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks, Dustin. All right, you too. Good to see you guys. (laughs) Dennis Pitt on the Deseret First Credit Union Highline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's one of the best. He is. People think I legit hate him. I love Dennis Pitt. He's awesome. You mean you love Dustin? I love, well, I like Dustin more than Dennis. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Jerem, The Athletic released uh, a tweet and an idea that got our minds thinking about the biggest what-ifs within BYU sports. Now, what is, and there are so many huge storylines of if you just make one little change, then maybe everything becomes so very different. But what is the biggest what if within BYU football specifically? Yeah, football is interesting. Basketball, I think we'd all agree. It's what if Brandon Davies had played all season? Would BYU have gone to the national title game like Butler and faced Duke? And would BYU have gone to its first Final Four, right? Um, but in BYU football, there's a gajillion. The one thing I want to know, and we'll go over a massive list here, but 2001, if Luke Staley doesn't break his leg, does BYU – beat Hawaii, and do they go to a better bowl game? They're not going to the Fiesta Bowl. They already knew that prior to going to Hawaii. But would they have been invited to the Fiesta Bowl if Luke Staley was healthy? Would BYU have been the original BCS buster? 
Not Utah in 04, right? Well, they've um, had their second undefeated season. Would they have a second undefeated season? Exactly. Um, I, that, that's one that really comes to mind. And I have a big list, but I want to hear yours. My what if goes back five years previous. What if 1996 BYU football, that loaded team that went 14-1, and wins at Washington? There's no debacle in the locker room before the game about what color socks they're going to wear and that they're going to be a team. They're white on white. They should have worn Navy. The uniform situation. What if there's no debacle? They go out, they're focused, and they beat Washington, Jerem, and BYU finishes 15 and 0 in 1996. What if they figure out a way to win at Husky Stadium in Seattle? Then is BYU a legitimate national championship contender in 1996? They finished number five, and that was with the one loss, albeit it was early in the season. But if BYU runs the table and they become the first team to ever win 15 games in a season, how do you deny them at least an idea of being in the conversation to be worthy of playing in the national championship? It would have been hard because in the Sugar Bowl, it was Florida, Florida State, and the Rose Bowl was Ohio State, Arizona State. Those are all teams in the top five. I, I just We've talked about this before. To go undefeated is special, but you have to have the right season. 84 was special because no one else was undefeated. And you, you look around and BYU's the only one, and they had built up to that point the previous couple of years. So you have to do it in the right year. Like Utah in 04, that, it's always good to go undefeated, but it was a bad year to go undefeated because there were three other undefeateds going into yeah, the Auburn. bowl. Right? It, yeah, it, it just, it just kind of depends, right? And Auburn was right, left out of that. They were the third team there. So, yeah, that, that's a good question. Okay, here's some others on my list. What if in 1979, BYU's 11-0, they're playing Lee Corso, coached Indiana in the Holiday Bowl. What if Brent Johnson makes the field goal at the end of the game and BYU goes undefeated in 79? They would have finished, you know, uh, top 10 for the first time. It would have been the first undefeated season in BYU history. I wonder that one. How about 83? We talked about in the reviewables. What if BYU had beaten Baylor to start the season and gone undefeated? Then do the what back-to-back national championships? Yeah, it, I don't think they would have won that year either. But, like, just establishing – the program and not having these one last years, although those were great. What if Taysom Hill never had a season ending injury in 2014? Uh, you knew this was going to come up. We've talked about this one and I, because BYU's 4 0, they're ranked as high as 19th. They're hosting Utah State. When Taysom Hill goes down, they're down 14. So are they going to come back in that game? Is one question. But BYU only played three power fives and didn't play Utah that year. The, the stage was set to do something special. And I always use this as a counter argument in the schedule's too hard conversation. I say, you didn't complain about how weak 2014 schedule was and how BYU was top 20. No one was going, well, we haven't played anybody. BYU played Virginia. They stunk. This is pre-Bronco Virginia. They end up playing Cal and beating them. Jared Goff, who's a sophomore, after the next season, he's the number one pick to the Rams. And then I'm trying to remember who the first – oh, Texas. And then Texas, of course. So, yeah, what if would Taysom Hill have been the, uh, you know, number five in the Heisman voting? Would he have made it to New York like Jordan Lynch did with Northern Illinois a year later or something? Good grief. What if Taysom Hill doesn't break his foot and hurt the Liz Frank against Nebraska in 2015? And that BYU team was pretty good, too. Nine and four with a freshman Tanner Mangum coming in in relief. There's no way that that game at Nebraska goes down to the wire if Taysom Hill is healthy and playing the whole game. I think BYU would win that game by 7 to 10 points on the road if he's healthy and doing the thing because that offense was working. And Steve Young said uh, in one of our previous interviews, 
When I watched Taysom Hill in the first half against Nebraska, I legitimately thought he's going to win the Heisman. Oh, my gosh. That's, like, such a blue goggle take. But I I agree, like, oh, he's on his way to doing something special. He could have had a, you know, 300-100 kind of game. That It could have been that way. Yeah, Taysom Hill's whole career is a what-if, right? His whole career. We didn't see him as an upperclassman finish the season. He got to the end of game 12 uh, as a a senior in 2016, and then he goes out. That's crazy. Okay, another one. What if Gifford Nielsen doesn't break his leg in 77 at Oregon State? Because Gifford is on his way. By the way, prior to that season, BYU, uh, the Fiesta Bowl is going to be on Sunday. They had already said we're not going to play if we win the whack. And so what happens is all of a sudden in 78, the Holiday Bowl pops up. That sort of came out of this need for the whack to help BYU out. But Gifford Nielsen, he's not going to win the Heisman because I think Earl Campbell won the Heisman. But Gifford might have been – the greatest quarterback in BYU history. And he, he might've been up to that point, but if he doesn't sports illustrated flew to Corvallis to do a cover story on him, he breaks his leg and BYU loses the next week. Mark Wilson throws seven touchdowns and everyone's like, Oh, this is good. By the way, he throws six picks the next game. No, everyone forgets that part. And they still but, won. And they still won, which is crazy. 10 yeah. to seven at Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Um, at Cougazool, uh, Jake Edmonds, our, our buddy. What if Riley Nelson hit a wide open Cody Hoppin at Notre Dame? You were in the stands for that game. 2012, Notre Dame's undefeated. They're top two or three, right? Yeah, they're ranked in the top five for sure. BYU played so well that game and essentially shut down a pretty good Notre Dame offense and had plenty of opportunities. Cody Hoffman was so open. In fact, when Riley Nelson threw the ball, where I was sitting and standing at the time, I thought – he, he could have walked into the end zone. He was so open and so alone. And so I was celebrating when Riley Nelson was cocking his arm back to throw the ball. And then it just came out, and it was way off. Oh. I was just kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. What happened? That was fourth down, and the game was over. It's like, ah. Oh. But, yeah, you know what? What if BYU wins that game? And they beat Notre Dame. and. You get a signature win. And, I mean, Notre Dame doesn't play in the national championship that year. Well, that would have been good for all of us because that was a terrible watch against Alabama. Um, Yeah, Lene Kakua did not show up in that game at all for Notre Dame. Okay, uh, at Jimmy17356, James, what if Washington decided to play BYU in the 84 Holiday Bowl? So Washington plays in what, the Orange Bowl, I think? Against uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, so Washington claims that, no, they deserve the national championship, right? And next year they play in Provo and BYU just lays down the smackdown. It's the next year, but that would have been nice. Listen, if they wanted to play, they could have, right? The Holiday Bowl had this sort of open invite. It wasn't like locked in. Because think about it, the year before, BYU's playing Missouri at, a, at the time, what, the Big Eight? Is that where Missouri was from? And the, I think. And then all of a sudden it's Big Ten. Tennessee was in the mix from the SEC. So was yeah. it like just – it was at large. It was WAC champ versus at large. Tennessee was like this close to playing BYU in the Holiday Bowl. They weren't in the top twenty-five though. That's not like a great game. Um, and Michigan and Michigan wasn't a great game. No, but Michigan was the first team that came forward and said, "Yes, we'll play." It works out. the The invitation was extended to a ton of top level teams. They wanted no part of BYU because they didn't want to play before Christmas and not play in a New Year's Day bowl game. And I, I don't know. I final. can understand that, but don't complain about not playing BYU then. Yeah. Oh, that BYU won. Played. I mean, yeah. BYU was willing and ready to play anybody. In fact, they were hoping that one of these top-level teams would say yes to the invitation just so that they could 
validate the season a little bit more because they felt like they could beat anybody. Yeah. And uh, Michigan was the first team that made it work. Okay, here's a list of uh, good things that happened. What if they didn't happen? Okay, we, the reverse. What if Clay Brown doesn't catch the Hail Mary in 80? <laughs> then BYU doesn't have the greatest moment in BYU football history. They don't steal, uh, you know, that bowl game and win one, and Lavelle can't win a bowl game, right? Yeah, that, that was, was the rhetoric. first bowl victory, and that's right. And you, went, you were talking about Mark Wilson. If BYU makes the field goal against Indiana, then that's not a thing. Lavelle's right, won this right. bowl game. It's done. Yes. Okay, what if BYU didn't beat Miami in 90? No Heisman for Ty? Um, no top five ranking they got as high as four. Yeah. What if Comrell misses the tackle at, at Hawaii or he, he jumps early and they get a first down, they get an offside penalty. Hawaii does. <laughs> won that game 18 to 13. And uh, I, I want to go back and watch it again, just so I can figure out because who knows what situation would have been presented. You to get the longo score. Yeah, yeah. Had Hawaii scored. It's not like BYU couldn't get it, and they didn't have the offense to go and be able to do something. But yeah. still, it, it's interesting. Like, if Hawaii wins again, then BYU definitely doesn't win, you know, the national championship. Yeah, what if, what if there's no back to Harleen? <sighs> what, five in a row for Utah? Now that's the big streak then, and, and maybe in 07 you don't believe that it's going to – I don't know. What if Lavelle Edwards took the Detroit Lions job in 80, after 84? Yeah, who would have been the coach for BYU in 1984? Would it have been Norm Chow? Probably. Yeah. I mean, later Norm doesn't get the job, and, and he becomes quite disenchanted with BYU later. And right? they're playing in Norm Chow Stadium and not Lavelle Edwards Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> there would be no Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Exactly. It would be just Cougar Stadium still. What if exactly. BYU doesn't go independent in 2011? Oh, boy. Yeah, well, see, I have one written down. What if BYU went to the Big East? Instead of <laughs> would the Big East exist in football? Yeah, what, what, Does it have what would happen? Boise State, BYU, some of the American. Would BYU be in a better competitive spot? Competitive, yes, but not probably financially. And what if Taysom Hill went to Stanford originally instead of transferring? Then it's Tanner Mangum and Christian Stewart at BYU, right? C. Stu for a full season would have been interesting because that dude had the last – Greg. Greg Rubel tweeted this out. The last 25 touchdown season at BYU. 25 touchdown passes in nine games. Is that even hard? 25 touchdowns. Is that even hard? Come on. Let's go. Apparently, apparently it is. I'm still kind of freaking out about the whole Norm Chow Stadium situation. <laughs> Norm Chow Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of this episode. It's it's religious. Yeah, it's over. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It is time for the best to wear it. We've been asking this question every episode of BYU Sports Nation as we count up from zero to 99 and determine who was the best athlete in Provo to to wear each and every number. Today it is number 14, Jeremy. I think I may know the answer. This jersey number is retired for two individuals. We're picking only one of them. It is Ty Detmer. The other is Gifford Nielsen. Gifford's amazing. If he had played healthy his whole career, maybe he's the guy. But Ty Detmer, of course, BYU's only Heisman winner. 15,000 yards passing, which is still in the top five in NCAA history. 
121 touchdowns, 63% completion percentage. He set 59 NCAA records, tied three others, two-time Davey O'Brien winner, two-time consensus All-American. Uh, 29-9-2 as a starter. I didn't know that number until today. Um, first BYU football player to be voted as a captain as a sophomore, drafted by the Packers, was in the NFL for 14 seasons, uh, which a lot of people I don't think know that he, he was on squads for that long. He didn't play in every season like that. Essentially, Michael Vick's quarterback coach of sorts is a yeah. third stringer on the Falcons. There's some cool stories that way. Uh, taught Brett Favre what a cover two was. You know, they're – Ty Detmer is the man. Like, certainly his time as an OC is a separate part of his story. But Ty Detmer, the player, is just one of the most beloved guys ever at BYU. Okay, so you said 29-9-2 is a career record, right? hmm Did you know that all nine of Ty Detmer's losses as a starting quarterback were against Power 5 teams? Oh, snap. How so he that? never lost to a whack team? Is that what yeah. you're saying? That, I'm looking at his Power 5 start in his career – Three wins, nine losses, one tie. He had to lose a game to a whack school at some point, right? No, never. That's I mean, wow. if you're telling me it's twenty nine nine and two, then well, that's our crack research staff. I'm not, I'm not going to say they're infallible. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's impossible for them to mess up. Did Ty Detmer never? Well, lose he lost at Hawaii in ninety. Okay, so he lost. He lost at Hawaii then. We need to look into that crack research. 89, he lost at Hawaii. Did he start the game? I would think so in 89 and 90, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll fix this in post. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> in the meantime, Jerem, there is another prominent number 14 and one that is oft overlooked. Our guy Mel Hutchins. I love Mel Hutchins. Mel Hutchins. We're talking about a guy that was at the top of his game, not just at BYU, but he was – a professional, first-team All-American in 1950-51. He led BYU to the NIT championship in 51. The dude was selected number two overall in the mm-hmm. 1951 NBA draft. Five-time All-Star. And, and he, he led the league in rebounding. He was second only, um, you know, as a rookie. Wilt Chamberlain, the only two players in NBA history to lead the league in rebounding as a rookie. He held the single-season record for rebounds until 87 when Sir Charles Barkley broke it. I would argue that Mel Hutchins is the most accomplished and greatest NBA player from BYU ever. You could say Danny Ainge because he played in a bunch of finals. He won titles with the Celtics. He played in finals with the Blazers and Suns as well. Um, Certainly uh, uh, notable there. The NBA was very different back then. But Mel Hutchins, you could argue, is the greatest NBA player from BYU ever. He was awesome. Passed away last year. Um, got to meet Mel one summer doing a story for True Blue. His, his uh, you know, running mate, Roland Minson, retired jerseys okay. at BYU. That 51 team was the first great team at BYU in basketball. So we don't want to forget about way before us because you and I are a little younger in this conversation. But, listen, there have been some great athletes. We're going to do our best to bring up people from all time in BYU history. Yeah, well-deserved shout-outs to Ty Detmer and Mel Hutchins, uh, as you pointed out, Jeremy, and I agree with you, the most accomplished professional basketball player to ever come out of BYU. At least that is our collective. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. 
Let's play Dope or Nope, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Number one, Jerem, Dope or Nope, multiple transfers, and some at a very high level, like top seven potential landing spots level, have BYU as a place they could go. Oh, this is dope. Uh, it's, it's dope if they come, and Matt Harms did come. So uh, Alex Barcelo, two-time player of the year last year, came. Jake Toulson, Duke and Virginia were after him. He came. The recruiting momentum BYU men's basketball has right now is perhaps the best it's ever been. Shout out to Patrick Ewing. This is totally dope, Jerem. I love that BYU basketball and Mark Pope are a potential landing spot for any and every transfer that has any sort of high-level credibility. Yeah, BYU it's amazing. BYU starting this right. Gonzaga's still the king of the league in that regard, but BYU starting to get into that game. I like it. Okay, transfer dope. nation, right? Transfer the transfer nation. He'll go through as big. Uh, <laughs> dope or no? Price Jarman's new haircut. He posted this a couple days ago. Price told me that he's cleaned this up since with a bit of a fade. But uh, what, what do you think? Harry, I took care of it. Uh, nope. This is a nope for me. I, <laughs> it's, the dumb, it's the dumb and dumber. <laughs> you use the bowl over his head and cut around The bowl it. cut. It was popular in the <laughs> mid-90s, man. This is a nope for me. Nope Price, as well. Price is a handsome kid. You don't need to do that. He's, a, he's funny. That, he did that on purpose just to be funny. <laughs> Number three, dope or nope. Speaking of BYU Volleyball, Davide Gardenia, Gardini rather, with a basketball-volleyball mashup trick shot. I'll go dope. Uh, I think this is fun. So so he spikes it, and then he, he bumps it up. Uh, in, here he is in, uh, what, Ravenna, Italy. Spikes it, boom, into the uh, hoop. We don't know how many takes this was, but I, I trust that Davide, you know, He's got some skill here. Oh, oh, and now he's shooting the oh, jump. Oh, the bank, from the deep. bank is open. I'll be honest. I hadn't seen the jumper on that. I thought it was just the bump in. Okay, yeah, I was going to go nope until I saw the deep bank three. The deep bank three from that angle is harder than you think. <laughs> Look at this. Deep. <laughs> so dope. I will take it. Davide, hope you're well in Italy, man. Dope or no? Twitter, the Twitter account of Michael Jordan on the bus dancing to different songs. Um, this was dope until about the 78th different tweet I saw. <laughs> then it became a nope, like enough, like enough. It's dope. Every single one makes me laugh. And the one that made me laugh the most and slash excited was the NBA on NBC theme. <laughs> <laughs> the one that made me laugh the most was Owl City Fireflies. That is pretty that, funny that was, that because funny. his head is bobbing like... Like he's really time. into it. Yes. He would not be listening to Owl City. Your boy would be listening to Owl City. Number five, dope or nope? USF, as in South Florida football. Yeah, not Jeremy. San Francisco. USF counts its win over BYU last season as a signature win for the program. Listen, if you only knew BYU from three years ago to now, no, it, it, would, it would not be. But... BYU is a program that has, you know, like the sixth most wins the last 40 years. Prestige. Uh, yeah, yes, it's a signature win. But it's it's a nope because it's just USF football. And they know thing. Dope, Jerem. This is awesome. <laughs> this is so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so so great. great. I have so many good memories about that game yeah, and what that a trip wonderful, to Tampa. What a wonderful night! Ugh. Afternoon, I guess. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.